show was off the air for several days, and we appreciate y'all for hanging in while we were away. And while we were away, lesson learned, we may not need to go away anymore. While we were away, a a war breaks out in the Middle East, and man, it's getting ugly there in Israel and Palestine. So a war breaks out while we're off the air for a couple of days, and we come back into the y'all studios here. And my goodness, here at the Lindsay Electric Studios at WTJS-FM, we've got a brand new digital audio setup. And I guarantee you're probably hearing me today and wondering, what in the world did this boy do while he went away? Well, actually, I didn't do anything. But the good folks here at GMG working hard to put this equipment in and we got some fancy toys to play with here going forward on the Y'all Show. So hopefully you will notice a remarkable difference in our quality of audio. And I've got some buttons to learn. And so if I mess up today, forgive me. It's a learning curve. But this is just this is just awesome. I'm, I've never dealt, and I've been in radio, I hate to admit it, 35 years now. I have never sat behind some of this fancy equipment. It's like I'm driving a Tesla and I was driving a, a Yugo before. So thank you all for giving us a chance to do the Y'all Show here. And we're going to have a good time going forward with this fancy new equipment here. And thank you all for, for putting up with me being gone over the last few days. John Rawl is my name. This is the Y'all Show. This is where we talk about all things Southern on this program powered by y'all.com. And here on the Y'all Show Monday edition. We've got a very busy program. We've got a very busy week ahead. We've got some star-studded episodes coming as we come back from our little hacienda, our little break over the last couple of days. I don't know if hacienda, I think that's home. I was home. I had to go check in on the fam, and so that's why I went away. Unfortunately, I was not really doing vacation for the last few days. I was having, having some health issues within the fam, so I had to go check out on that and, and help out and uh glad to be back so thank y'all for for bearing with me as i have been away the y'all show here on this monday we've got headlines coming in from across the southeast we've got a new governor elected in the pelican state over the weekend i'll tell you about that headline also in our headlines across the southeast today we'll let you know how kentucky is evidently in the state of kentucky some swing voters are going to make the decision for a governor, which will be decided in just a few weeks. Andy Bashir is up for re-election in the state of Kentucky. And there are some very, very closely contested areas, swing counties in Kentucky, to be on the lookout for. We'll tell you about Kentucky's governor's race. Also, in the state of North Carolina, abortion has declined significantly since new restrictions have been put in the old north state we'll tell you about that headline coming in today on the y'all show plus good lord the postal service gonna raise rates again is that right what's going on with the usps postal service releasing important dates to know an announcement on prices get ready i think the days of a dollar stamp are fast approaching i don't know where the money goes have you noticed a big difference in service after they've literally raised the cost of a first class stamp Probably, what, 30 cents in the last decade, maybe? I I don't know. It's been a while. But, man, every time it seems like you go to the post office, there's some kind of announcement about more prices, price hikes coming for a stamp, for goodness sakes. Plus, today we're going to beauty things up. 
We've got a new southernliving.com story that we'll be sharing with you. The 40 most beautiful college campuses in the South is your favorite college in the listing from Southern Living of the most beautiful college campuses. And a little bit of a surprise at number one. Maybe a lot of you have not heard of this college here in the Southeast. We will tell you about it in our breakdown of the most beautiful college campuses in the Southeast. Some entertainment news to pass along in our headlines today. Taylor Swift's movie has hit number one. We'll tell you about the numbers coming in on that. Also, a new marker to honor both Marty Stewart and Jimmy Rogers, the father of country music, coming to the state of Mississippi. We'll tell you about that. Plus, in Greenville, South Carolina, in the community of Malden, to be specific, Harambe. Are y'all familiar with Harambe the gorilla? Well, some knucklehead decided to name a new pedestrian bridge there in Malden, South Carolina, after (laughs) the deceased gorilla from, I think, the Cincinnati Zoo, Harambe. And this was not something authorized. Somebody basically went on Google Maps and named this bridge the Harambe Memorial Bridge, and it's causing problems in Malden, SC. (laughs) We'll tell you about that one. Oh, Lord, how crazy is it when you – and I've seen crazier things. I think – a couple of years ago, after a college football team beat another one, the other team's fans went in there and renamed the stadium something really funny in honor of the embarrassing defeat that that other team had. So that's just a little idea of what you can do if you can get away with it, at least temporarily, on Google Maps. We have all those headlines coming up on today's Y'all Show. Also, in our first hour, we've got hashtag hullabaloo. This is where we... Go on to social media and get all of the fun stuff passed along to you. And today in our hashtag hullabaloo, we've got somebody out on social media talking about their grits preferences. What goes with good grits? Do you have a preference? Let me know here at the Y'all Show. In fact, let me remind you, you can reach us here anytime. We have our email address, M-A-I-L, mail at Y-A-L-L dot com, mail at y'all dot com. We also have our 24-hour-a-day text line. We appreciate those who texted us while we were out away for a few days. Our 24-7 text line, 615-208-4184, 615-208-4184. We'd love to hear from you. So we got hashtag hullabaloo coming up here in hour number one. Hour number two today, in addition to our headlines across the southeast, got a lot of history to tell you about. It's our Southern History Spotlight, and today, among the headlines, It is the anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Where were you back in 1962? We've got that to pass along. Also, today is the day that Disco Duck hit number one. Plus, it is the day that Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You, the version from the best little whorehouse in Texas, also hit number one. And that's historic because it's the first time that someone's song has hit number one twice. The same song recorded two different times hit number one twice, and on this day in the early 1980s, Miss Dolly hit number one. We'll tell you more about that. Also, I'll tell you about a Union general named Crittenden, born on this day. We'll also tell you about Leo Mazzoni, Mr. Rocker on the bench, the guy that was the Atlanta Braves pitching coach for a long time, and if you ever watched the Braves game back in the 90s and 2000s, you saw Leo Mazzoni over there rocking on the bench. Well, today is Leo's birthday. We'll give you an update of where he is now. Tough loss for the Braves over the weekend as they're out in the NL fight for the National League. 
Phillies and Diamondbacks will be competing for that here. I think opening a game for that is today. So we got some baseball history to tell you about on today's y'all show. Also going to let you know in our second hour today all about food. And we've got a really cool thing. One of the fun things I got to do while I was away was I got to go to one of my favorite restaurants in the whole world, Bowen's Island, home of some great seafood, home of some great oysters, home of some great fried shrimp right there near Folly Beach in South Carolina. And I got to go there Friday evening and had a wonderful time. And I don't get oysters anymore, thanks to a little problem within the family a few years back that nearly killed my father, to be honest with you. He was in the hospital three months after eating a bad batch of oysters. In fact, that's maybe still part of his problem he's got today, one of the reasons I was visiting him over the weekend. But I wanted to let you know that I went to this great restaurant And unlike most seafood restaurants, they serve their fried shrimp with the tails cut off. So in our Southern Food Spotlight in hour number two today, we're going to talk about fried shrimp and shrimp in general. And can you eat shrimp tails? Is it okay to eat a shrimp tail? Are you going to gag? uh, Is it a bad thing from a health standpoint? And the website tasteofhome.com has an article all about can you eat shrimp tails so it's no tall tale we'll give you the full breakdown of shrimp talk in hour number two today hour number three we've got you know one of the other things i noticed while traveling i did a lot of time behind the steering wheel over the last couple of days i think i drove 12 hours alone on sunday to get back here to be with you fine folks and i'm glad i I could do that, <laughs> but uh, when you're on the highway as much as I was the last couple of days, you notice a lot of billboards, and so billboards are going to be a theme in hour number three, and there is no, I mean, I know Bucky's has a lot of billboards now, and I saw a hilarious Bucky's billboard that I'll have to tell you in hour number three, but the category that has the most billboards across the southeast right now it has to be trial lawyers oh yeah if you've been hurt in an accident call this lawyer call that lawyer so in honor of our trial lawyers i'm gonna give them some love in hour number three today in fact i think i've fallen in love with a certain georgia-based trial lawyer because her billboards are now expanding beyond the peach state and glenda mitchell You are one beautiful lady. I don't know how you are in a courtroom, but boy, your billboards are pretty. And so Glenda inspired me to not only tell you about her, but about some other famous trial lawyers that have billboards all over their respective states. So we'll do that. And I'll tell you just how much trial lawyers spend on billboards each year, according to their association. It's more than a billion dollars. And if you've seen the... The um, the uh, billboards for people like Glenda Mitchell are we're going to actually hear a clip in hour number three from a Alabama-based lawyer that's got his signage all over the southeast. Alexander Shannara is his name, and he talks about his decision to spend so much money on marketing. He is going to be part of our feature in hour number three. We also have Memphis's own Corey B. Trotz. And his goofy little billboards and commercials, why he is one of the leading billboard-type people for trial lawyers across the Southeast. There's so many. Of course, the other one, the, the, the king of trial lawyer marketing and billboards would be 
we the people, Mr. Uh, Mr. Walker himself. And so, we're, uh, I'm sorry, not Mr. Walker, Mr. Morgan, John Morgan, and Morgan and Morgan. We'll talk about that. We'll give you a real good trial lawyer wasting money on billboards. Maybe, maybe not. There must be a reason they do it. But some of these people have TV commercials nonstop, too. I guess I'm a little jealous here. Hey, trial lawyers, if you're listening, hit us up here at the Y'all Show. We'll talk about you. We'll let you have the floor. And we'll let you have your goofy commercials, if you'd like, here at the Y'all Show and here on our great station. So thank you for letting me talk about that. Anyway, when you're on the highway next time, I'm telling you, you're going to see billboards for trial lawyers everywhere, plus that are usually on the local newscast. That's going to be talked about in hour number three. And before we get out of here in hour number three today, we'll give you an idea of what's on the Y'all Show going forward for the rest of the week. And we've got some big names coming on the Y'all Show this week. So make sure you hang around for the entire show. Let me jump over here. We got a text message that has come in to us here at the Y'all Show. And I want to make sure we give our listeners all the attention that they can. Texter here says, let's see, let's pull it up here again. Dealing with some new equipment today, so I want to make sure I cover everything like I'm supposed to. Texter says, welcome back, Rawl. Grits with red-eye gravy and country ham always warms my heart. Oh, well, you're referencing what we're going to talk about a little later, which is grits here in hour number one, and that's in our hashtag hullabaloo section. So let me re-reference your text, Texter, when we get to grit talk later in the show but yes grits with red eye gravy and country ham that was always a christmas morning staple for me and unfortunately i haven't enjoyed that experience for quite some time so listener if you don't mind we're what are we just about two months away from christmas uh could you help your boy out and maybe get him some collard greens and and some red eye gravy with grits and country ham on december 25th just kidding (laughs) you know i think i've had that before where have I had that? Uh, I don't think Cracker Barrel's open on Christmas. I've been to Cracker Barrel for Thanksgivings in years past. Sure, I guess maybe the best I could do, you know, Waffle House has country ham, and they're open on Christmas. So you know what? I have no excuse to not enjoy grits with red-eye gravy and country ham on December 25th, thanks to the Waffle Houses. And I bet you the Huddle Houses also have a uh, have a chance to be open on on, that was a very dramatic effect there, didn't didn't yeah like that? Uh, that's uh, that's the clock on the wall telling me hurry up and get to the news, John. Okay, you know I've been away for a month or not a month seems like a month. Been away for more than a week, as we said. A war has broken out since we've been away. Not the one in Ukraine, the one in Palestine. So we better jump to our headlines before another war breaks out. Maybe the war between the states, part two. So let's go into some headlines, and we're going to have a war possibly. If Republicans come back from the mat and still find a way to win, and that's what happened in Louisiana over the weekend, as the attorney general for the Pelican State got over 50% in the jungle primary that Louisiana has for big elections, and Jeff Landry is going to become Louisiana's next governor as he will take over term-limited Democratic governor John Bell Edwards. And this flips a Democratic-held governor seat in the state of louisiana from blue to red and a big pickup for republicans republicans have won the race to determine the next governor of louisiana as landry was declared the winner in the jungle primary he got i think 52 percent 
over the 50% vote threshold needed to avoid a runoff. And now, again, this guy takes over as Louisiana, the Pelican State's forthcoming governor, and John Bell Edwards, a Democrat again, who had already won re-election a few years ago, is going to be term limited out. And there are some other key races in the state of Louisiana that we'll get to here in just a few minutes. And hashtag Cuddleblue, actually, as we've got a person who has texted us about that, we'll just cover it then. But Landry now ascends to Louisiana's top position. The other big race going on right now is in Kentucky. That race has not been decided because they'll go to the polls in the Bluegrass State in November for their general election to pick a governor. But right now, there are some key counties in Kentucky to kind of keep out a lookout for as Andy Bashir is in a tough race against his attorney general. We just saw Louisiana's attorney general ascend to become the chan- the candidate that gets the governor's position in the state of Louisiana. Now in Kentucky, the sitting attorney general, Daniel Cameron, is trying to become the state's governor. And on November 7th, voters will go to the polls and pick between the Democrat, Andy Bashir and Republican Cameron. And Warren County, I think that is Bowling Green, it is a definitely a bellwether county in the state of Kentucky with this county being the home of the Western Kentucky University's own Bowling Green. And there is a very, very close, according to poll, competition going on between Cameron and Bashir. And so there's going to be a very, very exciting race, if you like, tough fault and hard fault races going on in Kentucky over these next couple of weeks between Cameron and Andy Bashir. I really think Bashir is going to be able to hold on to that position, even though he's a Democrat. I, I don't think he's done quite as bad as, as he could have, and he's kind of distanced himself, I think, away from the craziness of the National Democratic Party. And remember, he also had a connection to that mass shooting in Louisville at that bank a couple of several. I mean, that's been more than six months ago now, I guess. And maybe there's some sympathy about that because one of his close friends was killed in that. So I'm not I'm not really going to put money on it, but look for Bashir to possibly have a, an easier time being reelected in Kentucky. But that race definitely, definitely is uh, one to watch here in the next couple of weeks. Golly, hard to believe November 7th is right around the corner. Then you've got just a year before the presidential election for 2024. One more political story before we move over to have other headlines here in our headlines across the southeast today. According to reports, North Carolina appears to have had a significant decline in abortions performed in the first month after new restrictions approved by state legislators took effect. Findings from an institute called the Guttmacher Institute, which supports, it actually is an institute that supports abortion rights. They're based on data collected from a sample of abortion providers in North Carolina, and they're showing that abortions appear to be down according to some of this research after 12 weeks of pregnancy the numbers going down in north carolina as north carolina's had a ban on most abortions after 20 weeks starting july 1st so the data showed an estimated 2920 abortions were provided in july in north carolina within the state's formal health care system and that was a year ago or rather just the month before In June, 
that number was over 4,200. So from 4,200 abortions in the month of June to 2,900 in the month of July because of some of these tougher restrictions of abortions in the state of North Carolina. Elsewhere in our headlines across the southeast today, I'll let you know about a story coming in from the state of, where is this coming in from? This would be coming in from Taylor Swift, the state of Swift. (laughs) Taylor Swift is number one at the box office. Okay, she's been number one on the Billboard charts for more than 10 years. She's the number one person in a lot of kids' hearts, in a lot of adults' hearts. And now, movie theaters over the weekend turned into concert venue as Swifties bought all kinds of tickets to see Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, come to a theater near them. And she got, it looks like, nearly $97 million in box office sales over the weekend. And that's from her movie of her concert. I guess you don't have to have writers, as they've had that writer strike going on for a while, when you're just filming a concert and putting it up on the big box office. But yes, Taylor Swift hauling in nearly $100 million from the release of this to movie theaters. And this is going to probably grow. I would look for the Eras Tour movie, or whatever you want to call this thing, <laughs> to probably be number one for a while. Because you're going to have people come back and say, man, that was better than I thought it was. I think you need to go see Taylor Swift. You can't see her in concert because you can't get a ticket, and she's too busy going to Kansas City Chiefs games right now. So we'll just have to settle for seeing her on the big screen. For some kids, I think they would be just fine with that. We've got more headlines coming in across the southeast today. We also have our hashtag hullabaloo that we'll be getting to. All that is right ahead on y'all. Talk with an accent on all things southern. Again, our first time back in here in just about a week or so. So We really appreciate you for sticking with us through the little pause for the calls. So that's coming up, so make sure you stay tuned to y'all. We also have a little hashtag hullabaloo headed your way before this hour is up. So we'll be right back. And we're back on the Y'all Show. Good to have you back here on this Monday across the southeast. It's going to be a little cool this week. Much cooler. I think in some places today it won't even get above 70 degrees, for goodness sakes. You better have that jacket handy. <laughs> going to need it this week for sure. Speaking of the weather changing, we've got some news out of East Tennessee as you've had your first fallen snow on Mount LeConte. Have you Heard of Mount LeConte? Yes, it's the first place in Tennessee that has had snowfall. As the lodge there has shared a photo of a dusting of snow on the mountain, and it looks like there was a light accumulation of snow overnight today, Sunday into Monday. As the lodge there, LeConte Lodge, said, after a full day of steady rain and mist, the precipitation has quickly transitioned from sleet to our first autumn snow. LeConte Lodge. And it looks like, according to Knoxville area weather forecasters, snow was in the area of East Tennessee over the weekend as highs in the Smokies reaching upper 30s paired 
with what uh, looks like some rainfall and some other weather-related issues. If you were in areas above 5,500 feet, you might have seen that mixture of rain and snow Sunday evening. Sunday night, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park recorded a temperature of 29 degrees. Klingman's Dome... Klingsman's Dome has an elevation of 6,646 feet. And this, I think that's the biggest spot or highest spot in the state of Tennessee. I think that's right. 6,600 feet. Mount LeConte is 100 foot lower than Klingsman's Dome, as I guess Mount LeConte is 6,593 feet in elevation. And I was at sea level Saturday. So that's a that's a long way up from where I was Saturday. In fact, man, I got to deal with high tide at sea level on Saturday and you better if you're in areas where you're right at sea level and or right below sea level, which I think I was, you better have some high boots because even though it wasn't raining and the sun was out, everywhere I was walking Saturday, I had to dodge mud puddles. I even went into the restroom and the whole place was flooded, not with backed-up toilets. I guess the water has, when you're at high tide at sea level, there's a chance that water creeps up. Kind of crazy. You better have a big pair of boots when you're heading to sea level at high tide, for for goodness sakes. And you better have some high boots when you're hanging out at Mount Lacan in East Tennessee because they got snow this week. Y'all just need to be aware that it may be mid-October, but there are areas in the south that are getting, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. I mean, it ought to. We're just, what, two months away? How about this story from the state of Mississippi? The birthplace of country music is what Mississippi can truly call itself, as that's where Jimmy Rogers was. (laughs) You know what? I will say as a guy who bought a Jimmy Rogers book, right at the 100th anniversary of his birth back in the late 1990s, I was thinking about doing a Jimmy Rogers project. I bought his book, and I've been told by sources that Jimmy Rogers might have actually been born in Alabama. Don't tell that to the the people in Mississippi as they are going to claim the Meridian singer as their own. But, yeah, there is a slight controversy over the father of country music, the singing break man, Jimmy Rogers. Well, Despite knowing that, now that I've totally ruined this story for you, Mississippi has announced a historic event that will connect two great music cities along Mississippi's country music trail. As over the weekend, the birthplace of country music will unveil a historic, they unveiled a historic marker commemorating the 1927 Bristol Sessions, and they did that across from the Ellis Theater and Congress of Country Music in Philadelphia, Mississippi. That Congress of Country Music is the, I guess you could call it a music museum that Marty Stewart has put up in his hometown. And this new marker that was put up over the weekend honors Philadelphia native and Grammy Award winning artist Marty Stewart. And it also honors Jimmy Rogers, the father of of country music, who was born just down the road from Philadelphia in Meridian. And he was born in 1897. So... Some music history for both Jimmy Rogers and Marty Stewart. And I have not been to Marty's, what I hear is a fabulous place there in Philadelphia, Mississippi. The Congress of Country Music, of which it has on display a 
bunch of Marty Stewart memorabilia that he's collected from people like Jimmy Rogers, from Hank Williams, and from so many. And if you're ever in that part of East Mississippi, near Meridian, where they have the Max, which is a great theater for the history of Mississippi, for all the accomplishments of so many Mississippians, you can see that at the Max. I think that's the best Mississippi story going right now, and it's better than what they've got at the two museums they recently opened in Jackson. You just need to be about an hour east of Jackson and check out the Max. And then if you have a little extra time, go 30 minutes to the north of Meridian and check out in Philadelphia Congress of Country Music. And they've got this new marker there honoring Jimmy Rogers, the father of country music, and Marty Stewart, the father of nudie suits. (laughs) All right, lastly in our headlines today across the southeast, Malden, South Carolina. I had a chance to go there several times making deliveries to a grocery store that was headquartered there for many, many, many decades. Unfortunately, I do believe this grocery store no longer exists. Bilo. Y'all ever seen a Bilo, B-I-L-O? Malden, South Carolina was its home city. Well, today, Malden in the news, not for Bilo, but because of Harambe. As some wise guy or wise gal has gone on to Google Maps and has named a new pedestrian bridge over Interstate 385 there in the upstate of South Carolina. They've named this brand new beautiful pedestrian bridge. I mean, it is fantastic. It looks like the Arch de Triomphe in Paris, to be honest with you. And they have named this bridge the Harambe Memorial Bridge in Malden, SC. Now, the problem is the officials there in Greenville County, South Carolina, <laughs> did not did not authorize this pedestrian bridge to be a memorial for the Cincinnati Zoo's Western Lowland Gorilla who passed away some time back. And that was a big kind of meme for a while as Harambe died while being recorded and it gained viral fame some seven years ago when a zoo worker used lethal force to stop the gorilla after Harambe grabbed a child that had climbed into its enclosure. And somebody has gone on to Google Maps, which evidently is not the hardest thing to do, to go on Google Maps and start naming things based on this story. And they have named this Malden Gateway Bridge, which is this beautiful structure across the interstate there, the Harambe Memorial Bridge in Malden. But that's not really what it's supposed to be called. Somebody was just being a smart aleck, and they got away with it temporarily until somebody discovered, plain as day on Google Maps, that this thing shows up as the Harambe Memorial Bridge in Malden, South Carolina. Okay. If you've ever tried to fix Google Maps, if there's something on there that's wrong, it, it's kind of a pain in the neck. I've done it. I've, I've had them label something for me incorrectly. And I've sent them emails. They had to mail me something in the mail to say, okay, well, we won't change this until we send you something to that address in the mail. And then if you send this code in, then we'll change it. You know what? I think they've done it correctly now, but I almost kind of give up on Google. Then you got the other services that may not be accurate either. Apple has their own Apple Maps and stuff. It's It really gets a little goofy. It really does. And the problem I was having is 
where I wanted them them to indicate for me they had two miles down the road in somebody's driveway the address that I was trying to get fixed and make it for me. So watch out for Google Maps. They don't know what they're doing. And it appears there with those people there on the left coast. And that's a look at some of our news headlines here for this opening hour of the Y'all Show Monday edition. When we come back on Y'all, we will continue on with the fun. We've got a look at some hashtag hullabaloo. That's where social media activity comes our way, and we share it with you of what's going on across the Southeast. And that is headed your way after this quick timeout on the show that shakes the Southland. We are Y'all. King George, we're back on y'all talking about all things going on across the southeast today. And we will just let you know that we've got hashtag hullabaloo right now on the program. This is where you will be able to catch up with all things going on social media-wise across the southeast. And Tamika Harley-Julian is on social media. Her ex-account is Tamika harley a mom of two beautiful girls. She says she's a political junkie and she is a UNCC alum. That would be University of North Carolina, Charlotte, go 49ers. And so she's got that as part of her identity here on the program today. She's identifying as a UNCC alum. <laughs> and she also evidently is an Army alum. And a number one fan of the New York Giants, New York Knicks, New York Rangers, and New York Yankees. Okay, we now know where Tamika Harley Julian stands. And she's out, as I said, she's a political junkie. She identifies as a political junkie. She says, Louisiana, you should be ashamed. This will be costly. So sad. You don't vote do not complain, okay? Not exactly the world's best English there. But, yeah, she's mad about what happened in Louisiana over the weekend. As we told you in our headlines across the southeast today, 
that Louisiana voters went to the polls in a jungle primary over the weekend, and Louisiana has selected their Attorney General Landry as the next governor. As he got over 50%, he does not have to go to a runoff, and so he easily defeated two Republicans as well as a Democrat, Wilson. Wilson got 26% of the vote, and Landry got 52%, and he's going to be the new governor of the Pelican State. Congratulations to, I think his name is Jeff Landry, governor-elect of the state of Louisiana. Now, there's going to be a runoff for attorney general in the state of Louisiana as neither candidate or no candidate got to 50%. So a Republican named Morell, Morell's going to go up against a Democrat named Cheek for attorney general in the state of Louisiana when they have the runoff here, I guess, in November And then there is no clear choice for Secretary of State, so there will be a runoff, and two women will vie for that position. A a lady named Landry, I wonder if she's the governor-elect's wife, not sure. She's up for Secretary of State, as well as a lady named Collins-Greenup. Those two, one Republican, one Democrat, both got 19% in this jungle primary, but they did better than anybody else, so therefore these two will be vying for the top job of Secretary of State in the state of Louisiana. But the big story, Louisiana does have a clear-cut governor's winner, as Landry is your governor-elect of the Pelican State. And this lady, the UNCC alum, Tamika, not very happy about Louisiana already deciding its governor. And it looks like the Republicans have the upper hand for runoff positions in the Pelican State. Okay, to make it, well, guess what? The people had their choice to vote, and that's what they have chosen to do, go the Republican route in Louisiana. Is this a harbinger of forthcoming elections across the Southeast? Is, in fact, even though I said earlier in the show today that Andy Bashir probably is going to win, in my opinion, the governor's race in Kentucky, maybe, just maybe, Cameron can pull out uh, at least a John upset And you can see a Republican back in office in Kentucky when they have their election. And I'm trying to think, does anybody else have a big election going on? I guess Mississippi has governor's elections. Yeah, yeah, Mississippi's also going to have a chance for a Democrat, Presley, to oust the sitting Republican governor in Tate Reeves. I don't think that will happen. But you know what? That's why they play the game. And that's why we've got a couple more weeks before we will see who emerges and who has the momentum heading into 2024. Let's talk about grits, if you don't mind. So I want to go back to our texter who was kind enough earlier in the show to tell me about, as I mentioned, we would be talking grits here a little bit. The texter said, welcome back to me for coming back on after we were off for several days. said, the texter, grits with red-eye gravy and country ham always warms my heart. And then I mentioned, hey, Texter, why don't you invite me over? Because come Christmas, I may not have the chance to have that red-hot gravy. And then it hit me, Waffle House has really good country ham, and they have decent grits. And so you you have no excuse as a Southerner to not have red-eye grits and gravy every single day across the South. As Waffle House, if you don't know this, is open 24 hours a day. <laughs> And, and their country ham is good. In fact, they have – actually, let me go back. 
I would rather have what they call city ham at Waffle House. City ham is is basically a piece of ham, not the thicker country ham. So, but either way, they come they come really well done on your plate, and then you can have that red eye gravy, which is so yummy. And I assume, and it should be the case because they use Maxwell House branded coffee. I assume Maxwell House brand coffee inside a Waffle House is really good because you got to have coffee. You got to have some coffee to do up the red eye gravy right. It's a mixture of the the country ham drippings with the coffee that makes it so special. And the texture replied back, Waffle House Christmas ain't a bad way to go. No, I've had a few of those, usually in the evening hours. Go there after you, you open up your gifts, and you've maybe had a decent lunch, and then you can enjoy Waffle House Christmas. In fact, a couple of years ago, if you want me to really bore you real quick, I actually had a goal of running back in 2020, and I'd almost reached my goal, but the year was coming to an end. And so on Christmas Day at lunchtime, I ran six miles so that I could equal my goal and and reach my goal of 300 miles of running for that year. And I did it, and my reward was to go to Waffle House and eat grits and eggs. Not exactly the best thing you want to do to try to stay in shape. But I'm a good Southern boy, and that's how I spent my Christmas. In fact, it was kind of eerie to go out running on Christmas because there was very little traffic. It was a beautiful day, and I'm sure people had to sit there seeing me if they saw me at all. Why is that guy out running at lunchtime on Christmas? What a freak. Well, I had a goal, and I almost almost had it, but I needed that extra couple of miles, and I knocked it out, and guess what? I ran and hit 300, and I didn't run again until the next year. I took the next week off, and frankly, I've been taking too much time off from exercise, and I need to get back in it if I'm going to keep eating red-eye gravy and grits and some good country ham, okay? But we sure appreciate you sending that to us here at the Y'all Show. So let's bring up texting, and, and we had something come in from somebody talking about grits as we wrap up our first hour, and Tector says, do you like grits? What do you put on them? That's what Molly Plufkins has sent in something. And a response has come in from someone with an awesome, awesome account called Sweet Tea. Sweet Tea says, butter or make cheese grits or mix with cooked eggs. That's what this person recommends here. Butter and, yeah, all that. Got to have the, the eggs, all with delicious grits. That's hour one. We'll be back with more. Stay tuned.
And welcome back in hour number two of the show that shakes up the Southland. We're back here. John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. Good to have you join us for this second hour of which we will be sharing more headlines from across the region. And then we got a lot of history to tell you about. It's our Southern History Spotlight of the Day. Going to let you in on what happened on this day in history. The raid on Harper's Ferry. John Brown. You know the old song, John Brown's Body? Lies in the Grave or something like that? You know, I haven't heard it in about 200 years. So maybe I need to uh, remind all of us of that famous song. That happened on this day in history. Also on this day in history, the Cuban Missile Crisis kicked off in 1962. One of John F. Kennedy's finest moments when he steered the country through that nearly <laughs> entry into World War III, for goodness sakes. We'll tell you about that. Some birthdays also. A Union general born in Kentucky, born on this day in history. We'll tell you about him. I think I think he was born. You know, the, the confusing thing is, and I'm going to tell you about the Crittenden family, is the Crittenden family back in the 1800s had generals on both sides of the conflict and some of them were born in alabama and some were born in western kentucky (laughs) i'll tell you about thomas t crittenden as his birthday happened or today is his birthday we'll tell you about that also today marks the anniversary of disco duck the charlotte north carolina dj's number one song rick dees who was a memphis disc jockey when disco duck hit number one the last novelty song to ever go to number one on the Billboard chart. And we'll just have to play a little Disco Duck in honor of that when we come back from break here after the next time out of the Y'all Show. So Disco Duck, also some Dolly Parton story, some history. Miss Dolly, as her song, I Will Always Love You, went to number one on this day in history for the second time. As her original version hit number one back in the early 1970s, I think it was. And then the remake for the movie Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I love her remake. It went to number one on this day in history. And it marked the only time in country music history a song has gone to number one twice after it was re-recorded by the same artist. So we'll tell you a little bit about that music history as well as others who are celebrating birth today would be the birthday of Tim McCarver. Tim McCarver just passed away a few months ago, the Memphis native, who of course played with the St. Louis Cardinals, won World Series for the for the Birds, and then for a long time a Fox broadcaster. We'll tell you about Tim McCarver in our Southern History Spotlight coming up a little bit later this hour. And before the hour is up, we're going to talk about shrimp tails. Yes, not just about shrimp, but shrimp tails specifically. And it's not a tall tale that I'm telling. As I had a chance to have some delicious fried shrimp over the weekend, some fresh fried shrimp right out of the Folly River. And I'm going to tell you about how you can or cannot eat shrimp tails. Is it a good idea? So stay tuned for that conversation coming up. Courtesy of tasteofhome.com, an article, Can You Eat Shrimp Tails? Question mark. We'll answer the question and what you can do with shrimp tails. All that's coming up here in a few minutes. Reminder, hour number three today, we'll have our Southern Culture Spotlight. And I'm going to talk about trial lawyers. 
I'm going to talk about trial lawyers and their desire to be seen and heard on billboards and commercials. What's up with that? What's up with you, John Morgan for the people? What's up with you, Glenda Mitchell and Alexander Shinara and Corey B. Trotz and others across the southeast that you cannot escape these people? Every time you go down the highway, you see a billboard for these trial lawyers. Every time you cut on the radio, every time you cut on the local newscast, these people are dominating. They're in your head. Does it really work what they're doing? Or do they just want to see and hear themselves? Huh. Well, we're going to hear from Alexander Shinara. He is the Birmingham-based trial lawyer that has billboards Definitely in Alabama. I think he has expanded his practice into other states. But if you pass through Alabama, you can't help but see him every few miles, maybe every few hundred yards, <laughs> this guy. And uh, we'll talk about trial lawyers and their propensity for promotion. All that's coming up in our number three today. And then we also have a preview of what's on the Y'all Show going forward in our third hour today. If you would like to drop by and participate in the y'all show, if you've got a favorite trial lawyer that we need to be aware of and say, man, this trial lawyer sure spends a lot of money. Have you got this person singled out as a person to talk about on today's show? Feel free to do that. Our text line that you can research here 24 seven is 615-208-4184. 615-208-4184. Our email address here for the show that shakes the Southland is M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. We'd love to hear from you here on the show all about Dixie. We are the y'all show. Let's jump back into some news stories of the day, and then we'll go on to talking history here in just a few minutes. Doesn't that sound pretty dang exciting? I do believe it does. Okay. One thing I want to tell you about from a news standpoint is how in the state of North Carolina, they recently changed up starting in July, the abortion rules of the state of North Carolina and North Carolina, according to an article that has come out over the weekend, it appears to have had a significant decline in abortions performed just in that first month after the new restrictions approved by North Carolina state legislators took effect. Now, remember a few months back, the governor of the state vetoed this action. And by one vote, North Carolina legislators were able to override governor Cooper's veto. And this law went into effect. The Guttmacher Institute, which supports abortion rights has some new findings out. And it's based on data collected from a sample of abortion providers in North Carolina as part of its effort to calculate monthly trends in abortions, both surgical and medication. And it shows that in the month of July, 2,920 abortions were provided in North Carolina within the state's formal health care system. Just the month before, in the month of June, there were over 4,200 abortions in North Carolina. That's a 31% decline according to Guttmacher's monthly abortion provision study. It found that North Carolina had by far the largest decline nationwide, which saw nationwide an estimated 7% month-over-month reduction 
in abortions. And North Carolina, a very purple state in many ways, with this new legislation you're seeing already, according to this pro-abortion group, more than 30% decline in abortions in North Carolina. Killer Bees, the Southern comedian, would love to echo this right now. Save up. Save up. Y'all need to be saving up because the Postal Service is now releasing important dates to know and an announcement on prices. As there were changes last year, and it looks like there are going to be changes from last year to this year in terms of what's going to cost you to send something in the United States Postal Service. In 2022, the USPS processed more than 11.7 billion pieces of mail and packages during the holiday season alone. An average delivery time, by the way, of two and a half days. Here are deadlines for specifically this year's holiday season. And it may cost you a little bit more this year, too. Thus, the reason to save up. So, in order to get your stuff delivered in plenty of time before Christmas... Which you know I haven't even done this yet. Let's let's learn together here on the Y'all Show. What day of the week is Christmas this year? Christmas is going to be on a Monday, Monday, December twenty fifth. So you better get your packages delivered before, let's say, December twenty second, which is the Friday going into Christmas weekend. So knowing that, knowing that. Here are the deadlines according to the U.S. Postal Service for shipping things out. If you're going to use ground advantage, that's the old first class. Deadline to put something in the mail to guarantee its delivery, December 16th. That is also the day for first class mail using greeting cards, December 16th. And then if you've got priority mail, December 18th, that Monday before Christmas would work as a deadline, and then Priority Mail Express for all of you slackers. (laughs) You have that. And that deadline is December 20th for Priority Mail Express across the continental U.S. If you want to send something to our 49th state, Alaska, same dates apply to that. Hawaii, man, the only difference is you better send a priority mail package to the Aloha State on December 16th at the same day as Ground Advantage and First Class Mail. And I've got friends in Hawaii, so hmm, let me write this down over here. December 16th, send that IOU, I mean Christmas card, out to uh, my friend. <laughs> you know, I think you'll be stateside, so I probably don't need to send it out to them. For our folks serving in the Armed Forces the Air Army Post Office and Fleet Post Office, the Diplomatic Post Office, the deadline for a ground advantage, November 6th, first-class mail, December 9th. That's also the date for Priority Mail and then Priority Mail Express Military Service, December 15th, to get all your loved ones taken care of with the United States Postal Service, which cranks out billions and billions of packages to people across the southeast last year postal service the surcharge was in place from early october to late january and it ranged from an additional 25 cents to six dollars and 50 cents so my point of telling you to save up is you might have a little more of a surcharge 
on your shipping over these next couple of months due to the holidays fast approaching. Are you proud of your college? Are you proud of what they do out there on the football field this time of year? Okay. Well, you sh- maybe you should be if your team's doing better than mine. Congratulations. That wouldn't be hard to pull off. But is your college more beautiful than all the others? Southernliving.com has just put out an article. Jennifer Smith has penned this. The most beautiful college campuses in the South. And I'm going to walk through these because this means a lot. Because if you like to travel, as I do, and you like to see how beautiful the region is, period, that's important. But our colleges, which sometimes aren't so beautiful inside the classroom with what they're teaching kids these days, but outside they can be a thing of beauty. So, again, this is from southernliving.com, the most beautiful college campuses in the South, and they've ranked 43 of them. I don't know why they chose the number 43, but let's start off with number 43. It's Rollins College, and Rollins College is located in Winter Park, Florida, on the shores of Lake Virginia. And, frankly, how could any college campus in the state of Florida be ugly? <laughs> well, Rollins College checks at, Rollins checks in at number 43 on the Southern, list, Southern Living list of most beautiful college campuses in the South. To Lexington, Virginia, where Robert E. Lee is buried on the campus of Washington and Lee University, W&L, in the Shenandoah Valley. It is the number 42 most beautiful college campus. At the home of Beacon in Spartanburg, South Carolina, that's where you'll find Walford College, home of the Terriers, and this 180-acre campus, also home of the Carolina Panthers, uh, I guess, fall camp, the training camp for the Panthers. Jerry Richardson, one of Walford's most famous alum, has had the Panthers go there for a training camp for many, many decades now. And Walford is the number 41 most beautiful college campus in the South. Also in the Palmetto State, coming in at number 40 in Orangeburg, not SC State, but its neighbor, literally they share a fence line, I think. It's HBCU Claflin University. It's the oldest HBCU in the Palmetto State, and it's red brick buildings, Make it such a beautiful sight there on this Orangeburg campus. Claflin, founded in 1869, number 40 on the list of most beautiful college campuses in the South. Emory. Emory is in Atlanta. It it was founded back in the 1830s, not in Atlanta, but over in Oxford, Georgia, I believe is where it started. And this very prestigious and very Highly academic institution in Atlanta with its 600 acres of greenery and Italian Renaissance-style buildings makes Emory the number 39 most beautiful college campus in the Southeast. Checking in at number 38, Loyola University of New Orleans, founded in 1904 in Uptown New Orleans is where you'll find this beautiful college campus. At number 37, home of the Fighting Phoenix, it's Elon University, Elon, North Carolina, with beautiful historic buildings and pristine landscaping on this college campus of Elon. Checking in at number 36, the Rebel Bruins of Belmont University, just off of Music Row in Nashville. 
and it's many pearls alma mater, for goodness sakes. Belmont, the 36th most beautiful college campus, according to southernliving.com. The Hatters check in at number 35, Stetson University in DeLand, Florida. Nicknamed the Athens of Florida, DeLand is a place of Greek culture and beauty. And what a beautiful campus with all the palm trees and glistening fountains in DeLand at this college started in 1883, Stetson University, number 35. Coming in at number 34, it's the Spiders College. It's the University of Richmond in the capital city of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And Richmond is number 34 on this list of beautiful college campuses. They got 16 flower beds and lots of landscaping, and the campus really lights up with colorful colorful foliage this time of year. University of Richmond, congratulations. Checking in at number 33, it's Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. And since 1986, during the wintertime, TCU's grounds team has planted tulips around campus, which come to fruition, and they bloom beautifully in March. And it's a 302-acre campus there in Fort Worth with over 3,200 trees planted on this beautiful college campus founded in 1873, Texas Christian University. It's beautiful. Number 32, a relatively new college, but it checks in at number 32. In Boca Raton, it is Florida Atlantic University, a college started in 1964. And wow, what a beautiful sort of modern-looking campus, but all the palm trees and more of Boca Raton, you can see it on display big time at FAU. To the state capital of the Sunshine State, and FAMU is number 31, Florida A&M University, this historic HBCU has a beautiful campus, and it also has the Eternal Flame, a torch sculpture that has burnt 24 hours a day since 1997. And they also have an 1,800-pound bronze handcrafted rattlesnake statue because FAMU is the FAMU FAMU Rattlers of the SWAC. Checking in at number 30, it's the Davidson College, home of the Davidson Wildcats in Davidson, North Carolina, Seth Curry University. Did I say Seth? Steph Curry. Whoops. Oops, oops, oops. Okay, you know who I'm talking about. The good Curry. (laughs) Although his daddy, Dale, was pretty dang good, too, for the Virginia Tech Hokies in his college days before being a star with the Charlotte Hornets. But Davidson is one of the most beautiful college campuses, according to southernliving.com. The College of William and Mary, the South's oldest college, the second oldest college in America, W&M, is number 29 on this listing of the most beautiful college campuses in the country. Coming in at number 28, Rhodes College, Memphis, Tennessee. This is in Midtown Memphis. And Rhodes has original Gothic-style buildings, which date back to 1925, with beautiful, elegant oak trees. And I didn't realize this, Rhodes' original location was in Clarksville, Tennessee, before moving to Memphis at some point. Founded in 1848, Rhodes College, number 28 on the listing of most beautiful college campuses in the South. Southern Living has chronicled 43 of them. That was number 28, Rhodes College. Coming in at number 27, the Mustangs home, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. And... It is a place where you'll find 
100-year-old buildings with statuesque column along the campus that is protected by the National Registry of Historic Places. The college's Meadows Museum is the biggest collection of Spanish art outside of Spain. And they also have the George H, no, 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 George W. Bush Presidential Museum on the SMU campus. SMU, number 27 on the South's most beautiful college campuses list. Southern Methodist actually has a connection to Vanderbilt University because it was SMU that was created after Vanderbilt kind of got rid of its Methodist roots somewhere around 1900. Vanderbilt checks in at number 26 on this listing of most beautiful college campuses in the South. VU, there in West End of Nashville, has over 6,000 trees planted on its campus. And they also have a pre-Revolutionary War bicentennial oak, plus 50 art sculptures from a shady bench can be found on the Vanderbilt campus in Nashville, Tennessee. Another HBCU list is on the list, NCANT, North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro. With 188 acres, they have a 50,000-square-foot student center that is the largest building on campus and very stunning visually. And they have landmarks and sculptures around campus that feature civil rights icons. NCANT, number 25 on the list of most beautiful college campuses. Rice University in Houston is at number 24, a lovely place with over 4,000 trees planted on the 300-acre campus in downtown Houston, Texas. Thomas Jefferson's UVA, the University of Virginia, checks in at number 23 on this listing. Wow, what a place. And if you've ever had a chance, as I have, to walk around the UVA campus to go into the room that Edgar Allan Poe studied in, pretty neat there in Charlottesville, Virginia. Baylor is at number 22 on the list, founded in 1885. This private Baptist-affiliated college in Waco, Texas, has so many great things, although its most famous alum probably these days, uh, Chip and Joanna, who live in the Waco area, Thankfully, haven't come over and shiplacked the bank, the Baylor campus. I'm seeing more and more white buildings, and I'm sorry every time I see one. I don't think of the White House in Washington, D.C. I think of Chip and Go- Joanna and Magnolia. That's pretty sad, isn't it? <laughs> Number one, former SEC member, the University of the, Sow- the South in Sewanee, Tennessee, founded in 1857. Sewanee, up on Mount Eagle Mountain in sort of the intersection of Middle Tennessee and East Tennessee is where you'll be able to see the University of the South with its beautiful creek and you also it's an escape I mean it's up on the mountain it's the only college campus that I've listed off here yet that has truly high on the mountain and that's what Suwannee has aka the University of the South Furman University FU In Greenville, South Carolina, founded way back in 1826 as a Baptist school. Now they're sort of anti-Baptist. They're sort of independent, I guess you could say. Furman, home of the Paladins, with a beautiful spot in the north side of Greenville. They have an Asia garden that has a great place to stroll there with nature trails and more. And a Florentine-style bell tower on the Furman campus in Greenville, South Carolina is where you'll find that. Well, Vanderbilt and Nashville got outdone by Fisk University in this Southern Living story. 
Fisk, founded in 1866, has its Jubilee Hall, and it also, again, is an HBCU. Fisk University checks in on this list at number 19. Oklahoma State, Garth Brooks' University in Stillwater, Oklahoma, OSU, home of the Cowpokes, founded in 1890, and this is a lovely place with a Theta Pond, and they have the Neo-Georgian architecture around campus, and the Edmund Lowe Library is something to behold. Of course, it's one of, one of its most famous alums was T. Boone Pickens, the gigantic oil figure, and he gave so much money to his alma mater, Oklahoma State University, number 18 on the southernliving.com listing of beautiful college campuses. Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, checks in at number, what are they, number 17. Wake Forest actually started just outside of Raleigh, then relocated to Winston-Salem in 1956, and they have their famous Waite Chapel, sort of a landmark of this university. And Ronalda Hall is a very famous spot on the Winston-Salem campus of the home of the Deeks, Wake Forest University. Keeping it in the ACC and on Tobacco Road, number 16 on this list, Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, founded in 1924. Is that right? Surely not. Duke has to be older than that. (laughs) Right? I don't know. I've I've actually never studied up on Duke's long history, but uh, Duke has a very beautiful campus. The West Campus there in Durham is something to behold. Duke. In St. Louis, you have Washington University, and that's on this list, checking in at number 15. Number 14 on the list, the University of Mississippi in Oxford, a.k.a. Ole Miss. You have the historic Lyceum built before the Civil War. You have the Confederate Cemetery, where more than 700 soldiers killed after Shallow are buried there on the Oxford campus. You have other sites like Vault Hemingway Stadium. You have the Grove and they do a really good job of landscaping and cleaning up after big-time football games on the Ole Miss campus. It's the University of Mississippi, number 14, on this listing of great-looking college campuses. To College Park, Maryland, and the University of Maryland checks in at number 13 on the listing of most beautiful campuses, according to southernliving.com, just outside of the nation's capital. You also... When you're there at Maryland, you can see the nine-acre McKeldin Mall, which stretches from the main administration building to McKeldin Library. Wow. They actually have a campus library. I'm just kidding. But uh, it's the University of Maryland, which was built on an old plantation there in College Park, Maryland. Keeping it in the state of Maryland, number 12 is the United States Naval Academy in Maryland, in, in Annapolis, the state capital. And USNA founded in 1845. And just a beautiful setting there to have our one of our nation's most important military academies located in the south, in Annapolis. That's where you'll find the United States Naval Academy. Go Middies. Number 11, Tuskegee University in Tuskegee, Alabama. It's Lionel Richie's hometown and home university. And this HBCU, very, very beautiful spot there in East Alabama. You can go see... Their incredible university just off of Interstate 85 between Montgomery and Atlanta near Auburn, Tuskegee University. Coming to number 10, it's the home of the Green Wave, Tulane. This beautiful campus in the St. Charles 
Historic District, St. Charles Avenue Historic District of New Orleans. Tulane with a 350-acre uptown campus. Check it out when you're in the Big Easy sometime. Number nine is Berry College in Mount Berry, which is, I think, in the Rome area of Georgia, northwest Georgia. That's where you'll find Berry College. It's on a 27,000-acre property. Whew, that's a lot of land. Yeah, Mount Berry, Georgia, home of Berry College. And you'll just be captivated when you're there in northwest Georgia looking at that. You'll also be captivated if you're in the home of the number one football team in America, the Georgia Bulldogs, because the University of Georgia, founded way back in 1801, originally I think it was called Franklin College, there you'll find the University of Georgia. It's number, they're not number one in this poll, they're number eight for the most beautiful college campus. And they got the trademark 160-year-old Black Iron Arch right there heading into downtown Athens from the UGA campus. Coming in at number seven, Flagler College. Uh, Flagler is located in St. Augustine, Florida, and it has this beautiful campus with beautiful buildings and more. Check it out when you're in St. Augustine. Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida, is number six on this listing of most beautiful colleges across the southeast. Spelman College, that would be the alma mater of one Martin Luther King. No, I'm sorry. He didn't go there. He went to Morehouse. Oops, sorry. Spelman, also right there in Atlanta, HBCU. It is the uh, all-female school. I guess King went to the all-male school. That's right. I'm getting my colleges mixed up. And you know what? There's a lot in Atlanta. And anyway, Spelman, beautiful place, classic place. It is Number five on Southern Living's list. Coming in at number four in our nation's capital, Georgetown University is the oldest Catholic and Jesuit institution of higher learning in the country. Georgetown founded way back in 1789, and it's a lovely spot in the Georgetown section of our nation's capital. I don't know how this one got on the list. I don't really consider Delaware the South, but according to Southern Living, the University of Delaware, Joe Biden's own college, Comes in at number three on Southern Living's listing of beautiful colleges. And now let's get to the nitty-gritty. Number two on Southern Living's listing of beautiful college campuses, Hendricks College, located in Conway, Arkansas. Got a student body of about 1,300. But, yes, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful school there on 175 acres in Conway, Arkansas. And, yes, they even in 2009 developed the Village at Hendricks, which it's a master plan community with walkable neighborhoods, green spaces, and mixed-use buildings. Check it out. Hendricks in Conway, Arkansas. And that leaves our number one spot of southernliving.com's most beautiful college towns and college campuses across the southeast. And this article that Jennifer Smith penned, the most beautiful college campuses in the south, number one on this listing of 43 From Mobile, Alabama, it's Spring Hill College. Let me read this whole thing to you about this school, which was founded in 1830. The Avenue of the Oaks is one of the first things to draw prospective students here, and it's also one of the last memories they'll take with them when they go. Each year, graduates sit among towering trees and rows of pink azaleas as they face a commencement stage in front of Stewart Field, a white Greek revival home. During students' tenures at this liberal arts school, the Southeast's oldest Catholic college, they hang out a Rod X Commons, a circular green space, 
facing the library and the exquisite St. Joseph Chapel. You can experience the natural splendor of a South Alabama landscape all over campus. Again, this is the, according to their data, the Southeast oldest Catholic college. It's Spring Hill College in Mobile, Alabama, with its roots going way back to 1830 when it was founded. And according to Southern Living, it is the most beautiful college campus in the entire Southeast. So when you're in the home of Mobile, check it out sometime. I've got my curiosity peak for sure need to check it out let's go to our text line as we've got someone who's texted us back here on the y'all show and texter says influencer i guess they're giving me credit here for telling you about all these great colleges to check out and, and it's based purely on the look of the school i'm not giving you the breakdown on how well they do on the football or basketball court i'm not telling you how well they do Academically, but from a beauty standpoint, according to southernliving.com, Spring Hill has sprung to number one for most beautiful college campuses. Hopefully you enjoyed that, and maybe you'll just uh, take time to take a little quick tour of some of these schools if you get the opportunity in the coming days, weeks, or months, because we do have some beautiful college campuses. So beautiful. And some of the people there. In fact, most of them are beautiful people too, y'all. We'll come back right after this break here on the Y'all Show. We'll talk a little Southern history here as the show about the South continues. Back to 1976 for that one. And on this day in history in 1976, Disco Duck from Charlotte, North Carolina native Rick Dees hit number one on the Billboard chart. Oh, my goodness. The last novelty song to ever go to number one on the chart. Rick Dees. What a talented fella for sure. Never, I only found out about this song. I guess I wasn't paying attention in 76 to what was going on on the disco chart. But yeah, Rick Dees, who actually, I got this wrong. He was born in Jacksonville, 
but raised in Greensboro, North Carolina. So my apologies to everybody in Greensboro as he went to Grimsley High School and then he went on to UNC in Chapel Hill and got his degree before going into radio and more. He was actually working at The Great 68 in Memphis when this song took off as he was a DJ there at WMPS AM 680. And from there, Rick Dees would uh, go on to be a big-time national star, you could say, with the Rick Dees Weekly Top 40 Countdown and so many more honors coming his way. But the southern boy, Rick Dees, had Disco Duck number one on this day in history back in 1976. We are here on the Y'all Show filling you in on all kinds of fun southern history and southern knowledge. And let me tell you also what happened on this day in history. It was the birthday of Thomas Turpin Crittenden. Thomas Turpin Crittenden, Crittenden, rather, born in Huntsville, Alabama on this day in 1825. He would rise to be a brigadier general in the Union Army as he fought for the North and went against his own kinsman from Kentucky. He had a first cousin who was a Confederate general, and also he had another cousin who was a Union general. His Confederate general was George Crittenden. George Crittenden, I was looking him up earlier. (laughs) He fought early in the war, and he ended up being a major general in the Confederate Army, and he ultimately would be dismissed from his duty after General Braxton Bragg ordered a court of inquiry, and Crittenden was forced to resign his position in the Confederate Army because he had recently been arrested and charged with drunkenness. So, yeah, you had a drunk leading armies in the South during the Civil War, and that might be part of the reason the South lost, because of generals like George Crittenden, who had alcohol on his mind instead of the Union Army. His cousin, though, born on this day in history, Thomas Turpin Crittenden, he lived until 1905, this Huntsville, Alabama-born and Kentucky-raised guy. He actually attended Transylvania College in Lexington before going into a military career. Speaking of the Civil War time period, it was on this day of history in history that the John Brown raid on Harper's Ferry, Virginia began. That's now Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, after West Virginia became a state during the Civil War. But John Brown led a party of 22 into this arsenal there in Harper's Ferry, Virginia, and ultimately they tried to destroy or take hostage the arsenal, the U.S. military arsenal there, all in an effort to bring attention to the atrocities of slavery, as John Brown was a radical abolitionist, the party of 22 would ultimately be defeated by U.S. Marines led by a guy named Israel Green. Israel Green would go on to be an officer in the Confederate States Marine Corps during the American Civil War. I believe he also was a Jewish soldier fighting in the military services. But also, Colonel Robert E. Lee had a large part of the decision and and the effort to stop the John Brown raid on Harper's Ferry, Virginia, back in history. And that happened on this day in history in 1859. Also on this day in history, you had the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that was a very stressful time in our country's history we were right at the brink of world war three in 1962 
and it was on this date in history that satellite imagery, or it wasn't satellite, it was from airplanes, imagery had indisputable proof that there were indeed Soviet Union weaponry put on the island of Cuba aimed at the United States, and that's when President Kennedy and others kicked into the action the effort to essentially have a a blockade of Cuba, and it worked. It was a victory for peace. The Cuban Missile Crisis on this day in history, 1962. In 1968, the Olympic Black Power Salute was created as two American athletes, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, raised their fist in a Black Power Salute for racial issues going on in the United States. They call it a some a human rights salute, but that made them famous at the time. Tommy Smith, by the way, a former track and field athlete who was a wide receiver in the AFL prior to being an Olympic. He was born in Clarksville, Texas, played college ball at San Jose State, and played briefly for the Cincinnati Bengals of the American Football League before they became an NFL franchise. But Tommy Smith, one of the two black power salute guys from the Mexico City Olympics. It's hard to believe that the Olympics back in 1968, the Summer Olympics, were held in October. That's indeed what was going on that year in our nation's history. Also, on this day in history, a couple of birthdays to tell you about. Tim McCarver, we just lost Tim in February of this year. Tim McCarver, born in Memphis in 1941, long-time Baseball player, mostly with the St. Louis Cardinals, would be a two-time All-Star for the Cardinals and a two-time World Series champion, 1964 and 1967. He's in the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame. I assume he is not in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame because I don't see it listed here, but uh, Tim McCarver, who would go on to be in the broadcast booth for a long time, he died again in Memphis in his hometown earlier this year at the age of 81 Tim born on this day in history back in 1941. Speaking of baseball, happy birthday today to Leo Mazzoni. If you followed baseball in the last 30 years, you know that name. He's the great pitching coach, mostly for the Atlanta Braves, a West Virginia native, born in Kaiser, West Virginia on this day in 1948. Leo is now 74 years old. He lives in the upstate of South Carolina, and he helped the Braves in 1995 win the World Series with an incredible pitching lineup of Smoltz, Glavin, and um, who was the third one? Up, oh, up, 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 Maddox. That's right. I knew it would come to me. <laughs> Maybe the best trio of pitchers ever in baseball, Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox. It's a dang shame those three guys in Atlanta only won one World Series during their time. And the Braves this year, boy, they looked like they were on the fast track to getting back to the World Series. But those Phillies are a tough team And the Phillies and the Diamondbacks are going to be the two teams playing in the NLCS, which begins today, I do believe, in Major League Baseball. But Leo Mazzoni, a member of the Braves Hall of Fame, the guy that was famous not just because of the great pitching skills that he passed along to his pitchers, but it was the way he rocked on that bench. It was something to watch when you saw the old TBS games when the Braves were making their emergence as one of the best teams in baseball in the last 20, 30 years Leo Mazzoni with a birthday today. Happy birthday, sir. Also today, Roger Hawkins. 
He was born on this day in 1945, born a Yankee, but got to the South as quick as he could, and he would be one of the legendary members of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section known as the Swampers, as he was the drummer of the Muscle Shoals Stompers, the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, the Swampers in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and Roger Hawkins, born on this day. Roger passed away back in 2021 in Sheffield, Alabama, at the age of 75. Also, on this day in history, we want to let you know some music notes. And on this day in history, Dolly Parton, her song, I Will Always Love You, the remake of it, if you will, went to number one. Her 1974 version went to number one. And it was a song that's probably the most famous song that Dolly's ever written or recorded, I Will Always Love You. But because of the movie, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, they released a a new version of it, if you will, for the soundtrack. And that remix of I Will Always Love You went to number one on this day in history in 1982. Impressive, impressive song and an impressive career. By the way, that song going to number one twice, it's the only time that has happened in country music history where the same song recorded two different ways has gone to number one. In fact, I thought it might go to number one a few years after her I Will Always Love You 1982 version. She did a duet with Vince Gill. Dolly and Vince did a take on this, and it did not go to number one, but it was dang good nonetheless, and there have been many, many people who have, and that was 1995, that she and Vince got together, and I'm trying to see how high that went. It it went way up there. I, I guess it went to only number 15 on the country chart, but it's a great one. And then, of course, Whitney Houston covered it and so many more talented people with such a great song, I Will Always Love You. And that's some of the fun Southern history notes here to tell you about in hour number two. We're going to come right back after the break and wrap up hour three as we've got Some food talk to tell you about. Shrimp tails will be the topic of the day. And we'll tell you if you can eat shrimp tails when we come right back. I saw three shrimp in the water. Two were old and gray. I swam a little bit closer and I heard the third one say Goodbye, Mama Shrimp Papa, shake my hand Here come the shrimp boat for To take me to Louisiana Here come the shrimp boat for To take me to Louisiana Showed his mama and papa Shrimp newspaper he read An invitation to all the shrimp And this is what it said All right, King, Elvis Presley helping us wrap up this second hour. So over the long break that I had, one of the things I got to enjoy was some delicious right out of the Atlantic shrimp, courtesy of Bowens Island awesome awesome place and i had that shrimp and you know what they served it without the tails on it and that's not commonly found in most restaurants usually they keep the tail on it so it had me thinking 
Can you eat the tail? And I went to the website tasteofhome.com, and they have an article all about eating shrimp tails. And, yes, you can eat shrimp tails. Perfectly fine to serve if you would like to try that sometime. Not exactly the easiest thing to digest, but go check out this article at Taste of Home, all about eating shrimp tails. And enjoy those, if you will, or if you're like me, you have to (laughs) spit them out when you're often eating one of my favorite meals, good old fried shrimp. Love me some shrimps, and I bet you you do too. Certainly a lot of you enjoy good boiled shrimp, but shrimp that's good no matter fried or boiled, as long as it's fresh, that makes all the difference. That wraps up Hour 2. We'll be back with Hour 3 and wrap up this Monday Y'all Show after this. Stay tuned. And the final hour of our Monday get-together has come to us. Hello, John is my name. This is the Y'all Show. And we're excited to be back with you here, wrapping up this Monday Y'all conversation. Got more headlines coming in from around the southeast that we'll be getting to you. And also we'll tell you, as part of our Southern Culture Spotlight, all about trial lawyers. If you've been in a car and gone up and down the highways and byways of Dixie lately, you've seen... Billboards are plenty for all these trial lawyers. Does that really help out? Does that really get them lots of clients? Does it help lead to big settlements and more? We'll talk about all that. We'll go through some of the most famous trial lawyers of the South these days. We'll even hear from one of them, Alexander Shinara out of Birmingham, as he sat down with a interested journalist like me about why do y'all do what you do? Now, don't sue me. Mr. Shinara, but let me ask questions. So we'll have trial lawyer talk coming up here in a few minutes on the Y'all Show. Plus, before we get out of here today, a look at the Y'all Show going forward for the rest of the week. We've got a big guest coming on our Tuesday show. We actually have two big guests. We've got Todd Starnes dropping by Tuesday. I'll tell you about him. And our Takapola storyteller will also be back on with us in our Tuesday edition. So it's going to be a great Tuesday show. You don't want to miss it, but I'll tell you more about it as we get kind of ready to close things out later this hour to be involved with y'all. It's easy to do that. You just pick up that old telephone or however you text people these days. We've got our 24 hour a day, seven day a week text line, 615-208-4184, 615-208-4184. Also, you can email us anytime here at the Y'all Show. Email address is M-A-I-L, mail at Y-A-L-L dot com. Mail at Y'all dot com. So incredibly easy for you to be a part of the program. 
Let's dive into more of our news headlines for this final hour of the Monday Y'all Show. And our headlines start off with the fact that we were away for a couple of days. (laughs) We were away, and I think it was the first day off that we weren't broadcasting. A war broke out in Israel, technically Palestine. And I'm looking at all the headlines today, and all indications are that the president or prime minister of Israel, Netanyahu, is going to order his forces in with a land invasion of Gaza, the city there in Palestine. And it's going to get ugly. Hamas is on the northern side of Israel on the Lebanese border. And I was watching something earlier today where an Israeli Defense Force member, a colonel in the IDF, reporter said, what do you think about Hamas here coming across the border from the north attacking Israel? Where at that point there would be a two-front war for Israel, both on the north and then down on the Gaza Strip. And this colonel actually surprised me. He surprised the reporter too. He said, I hope they come. I hope they cross the border. He wants to, and likely a lot of members of Israel's defense force, they want to stamp out Hamas, and they want to stamp out Hezbollah. Hezbollah would be what would be coming from the north, from Lebanon. That is a similar pro-Arab group, pro-Muslim group that hates Israel. And this colonel with the Israeli Defense Force just wants to put an end to both of these what he calls would would call terrorist organizations. It's getting very tense over there right now. It's getting to a point where it could spin out of control very quickly. And we would have not only wars in Ukraine, but now in Israel. And we've got a president in Joe Biden that you have to point the finger and say, what is he really doing all he can to avoid the world blowing up? Because we're getting mixed signals. I mean, Anthony Blinken is back in Israel today for the second time in as many, uh, maybe a week. And is America, although sending naval forces into the eastern Mediterranean, are we are we trying to get in on the side of Israel at this point? I know what happened with the attack from Gaza was a terrible thing that Hamas did on the kibbutzes of Israel and all the hundreds, if not thousands, of innocent Israelis killed in this. The reaction by Israel has been quite devastating to those in the Gaza Strip. And it's going to be tit for tat going forward, it looks like, for a while. In an area that has known bloodshed and religious differences and hatred for centuries and centuries. And sometimes you just don't get a chance to enjoy peace for an extended period. In fact, it was only mostly during the last five years that they've enjoyed some semblance of peace between them. That's all come to an end now as Israel going to war against Hamas, which is the leading party in Palestinian politics. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't know that. I guess like Many lazy Americans, I didn't really pay much attention to what was going on in Palestine. 
and this has been bubbling, and ultimately it came to a perk, and we've got war going on right now in that part of the world, which is not a good thing with Israel being a nuclear, I sound like George Bush here, with them being a nuclear power and Iran on the sidelines officially, unofficially, most people would say, heck no, Iran's right in here helping make these decisions and funding this. Scary times. If you have any thoughts on this, feel free to reach us here at the Y'all Show. I know it's out of our southern realm, but this affects all of us. And I remember watching in the last couple of days stories coming in from our southern communities of southerners, not just Americans, but people from the south who are either living in Israel or on vacation in Israel and are greatly impacted by this. We still have, I don't know the exact count, I would say dozens of Americans who are still being held captive by Gaza or by Hamas in Gaza or somewhere around Gaza. And this this is an ugly, ugly thing that will even get uglier if indeed Israel launches a ground attack on Gaza as they are expected to do. Elsewhere in our news stories over the weekend in the state of Louisiana, the election of Jeff Landry as he officially will become Louisiana's next governor, taking over for Democrat John Bell Edwards. This is a flip from Democrat to Republican as he won the first major contest ahead of the 2024 elections in a jungle primary. The Republican Attorney General of Louisiana, Jeff Landry, elected with 52% of the vote that keeps him from having to go to the runoff, and he's going to be Louisiana's next governor. Governor Edwards, term limited. We'll see what happens with him next. Is he going to be Joe Biden's running mate? John Bell Edwards, to his credit, for the most part, ran, although a Democrat, a, a rather conservative approach to most things, and probably still liked by many people in Louisiana, even if they are hardcore Republicans, they have some respect for this West Point alum, John Bell Edwards, who will be stepping aside as Louisiana governor very soon and giving the reins of the Pelican State to Governor-elect Jeff Landry. Elsewhere in our headlines across the Southeast, big story coming from movie theaters over the weekend, Taylor Swift and the Eras Tour made its debut, and it comes out as the number one box office smash with around $97 million in revenue in North America alone. And it's the biggest opening for a concert film of all time, surpassing Justin Bieber, Never Say Never, which came out in 2011. That got $73 million. Now Taylor Swift, nearly $100 million with her unprecedented Number one box office smash, Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. She has now got her sights set on Joker as that movie got, what, $96 million when it made its debut in 2019 as one of the biggest October openings ever. That's what Joker got. I think Taylor Swift can beat that, don't y'all think? Have you gone to see it? Is it worth price of admission? to see Taylor on the big screen. We are already seeing some snowfall in East Tennessee on Sunday night into Monday. If you were happening, if you happen to be at 
the LeConte Lodge in East Tennessee, you saw snowfall as that is the second highest spot in Tennessee. And what a beautiful picture that I'm seeing come in from this place that has an elevation, what are they, 65, 65.93 is what you have at Mount LeConte, and that is just about 100 feet lower than Clingman's Dome in East Tennessee. A 29-degree temperature was recorded at Great Smoky Mountains National Park, but yes, we've got snowfall in mid-October already in the mountains of the Smokies. Another story to tell you about, this comes to us from the town of Malden in South Carolina. They have put up a new pedestrian bridge over Interstate 385. It's a beautiful structure. And somebody has gone on to Google Maps and has done everybody a favor and identified this new beautiful pedestrian bridge in Malden. Unfortunately, they were being wise guys, and they have named this new Whoever did this on Google Maps called this the Harambe Memorial Bridge. Now, if you're not familiar with Harambe, (laughs) that was the big gigantic gorilla that ended up having to be killed back in 2016. Killed by a zoo worker using lethal force after Harambe grabbed a child that had climbed into its enclosure at the Cincinnati Zoo. This lowland, this western lowland gorilla was one of the big stars of the Cincinnati Zoo. And often people would get pictures and have had, since this became a memorial there at Cincinnati Zoo after the gorilla was killed, people have stopped by the Cincinnati Zoo with framed pictures, stuffed monkeys, flowers, candles, artwork, along with some people putting cigarettes and Paps Blue Ribbon cans out for Harambe, a memorial there. Well, in Malden, South Carolina, somebody decided that this pedestrian bridge for this gorilla should be named the Harambe Memorial Bridge. So that's not going to stick, by the way. There have been submissions to what they're going to call this bridge across Interstate 385. They've already received over 2,000 submissions And officials say they're looking for a name that meets the following criteria. It needs to be unique. I'd say Harambe is pretty unique. (laughs) It needs to be connected to Malden. It needs to be descriptive. It needs to be memorable or catchy, inclusive and community-focused, non-controversial, and forward-looking. That's words right out of the woke playbook coming from Malden, South Carolina. So it's probably going to have something called It'll probably end up being called something like the Malden Skyway or maybe the Malden Gateway Bridge, all of which are non-controversial names, all inclusive and community-focused, but not as historic as Harambe Memorial Bridge. And uh, whoever put that out on Google Maps, I I mean, I, I wouldn't be telling you about it today if not for somebody's effort to be a wise guy. And lastly, let's tell you about a Georgia man who recently got a, he got a $1.4 million speeding ticket. <laughs> that comes to us from the Savannah 
area of Georgia after Connor Cato said that he'd received a citation after getting pulled over in September for driving 90 miles per hour in a 55-mile-per-hour zone. And he called up the court thinking that the figure was a typo, but says that he was told he either had to pay or appear in court in December for his $1.4 million speeding ticket. That's a pretty high steep. I mean, I know Bidenomics is getting all of us, but geesh, quite a change there. It turns out that Savannah officials say anyone caught driving more than 35 miles per hour above the speed limit has to appear in court where the judge determines the actual fine. And the figure that the man from Savannah received reflected a, quote, placeholder that was automatically generated by e-citation software from the local recorder's court. The actual fine cannot exceed $1,000 in addition to state-mandated cost. So this machine spits out a crazy number just to be a, quote, placeholder. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I think I would have an absolute heart attack if I got something that said I had a $1.4 million fine there in Chatham County, Georgia. What in the world are they thinking there with their software system? Hopefully Connor Cato, the man who got the citation for going 90 and a 55, you know, that's not easy. That, that, actually, I was going to say, that's not hard to do in today's world. Driving as much as I did, and driving is going to carry over to the next segment where I'm talk about billboards and trial lawyers. Fun stuff, y'all. But if you've been on the highway lately, we've got so we really do have across our country, but specifically the South, we've got some really well-done interstate systems. And the pavement is smooth. Smooth as a baby's behind. And if you're traveling on some of the days that aren't so congested, the highways are wide open. And I drove, as I said earlier, I think I drove 12 hours on Sunday across about five states. And I think I saw, I don't think I saw one person pulled over for speeding. During that entire time, I did have to go through a license check when I got off the interstate. I did have to go through a license check, and luckily I had all my papers were in order. My papers were in order. Okay, so they didn't harass me. <laughs> they didn't harass me either. Uh, but no, I didn't see a lot of highway patrolmen out doing their thing, which is always a good deal. And I didn't see any bad wrecks or anything, too. That's a good deal. That's even a better deal. But I don't drive a Tesla. I drive a gas-powered car. And if I if I was driving 70, I was going too slow, even though that's the speed limit. No, I guess 65 would have been the speed limit in most cases. You have to drive roughly 75 miles per hour to kind of fit in, and you, you kind of need to be going over 80 to really fit in on a lot of these highways now. And so for this guy in in Savannah, Georgia, to be going 90 does not surprise me one bit. I just can't believe he got that massive placeholder fine. If you're driving something like a Tesla, you don't even realize how fast you're going because you don't hear that engine noise. And I've got friends who tell me, man, I'm going 100 and don't even realize it because you just don't feel like you're going that fast. But I guess you are. 
So, yes, we want everybody to drive and be safe, but it is tempting to go 90 and 95. I don't think I got into the 90s on my trip. I'm scared. I'm still a scaredy cat. I have never been one of those people who loved to push that pedal down to the metal. I'm 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 more of an 80, 85 maybe, and that's about it. I'm a, I'm scared. I'm scared. Plus, it was a lot of rain going on this past weekend, so you better be real careful when you're out driving around with rainfall on the highway. But we wish Connor Cato the best, and hopefully. He won't have any more problems with the Savannah Police Department or whoever gave him that massive ticket in the Coastal Empire and him flipping out and thinking he's got to pay over a million dollars in fines for going 35 miles over the speed limit. I think you'll be all right, Connor. We'll we'll, we'll create a GoFundMe fund for you if we need to here, courtesy of the Y'all Show. And that wraps up our news headlines here for this final hour of the Y'all Show. Upon our return, we're going to talk about more of highway time and window time that I had. If you've been driving lately, you've noticed lots of trial lawyers with their billboards and their TV commercials. What is that all about? We'll hear from one of them, Alexander Shinara. That's coming up here as we continue on with the Y'all Show. a girl wearing nothing but a smile and a towel in the picture on the billboard in the field of the big old highway rolling down the highway in my jimmy hauling parade from chicago to st louis lord i see her every day a double clutching weasel like me can hardly ever get a girl to look at him that way like the girl wearing nothing but a smile and a towel In the picture on the billboard in the field near the big old highway Well, what a girl wearing nothing but a smile and a towel In the picture on the billboard in the field near the big old highway I bet it wouldn't take her very long to get gone If someone would pull a dirty trick and take her towel away I slow my Jimmy down to 20, that's how many wrecks I see there every day. Caused by the girl wearing nothing but a smile and a towel in the picture on the billboard in the field near the big old highway. A little Del Reeves music for you here on this Monday, and what a cool song there, Girl on the Billboard. Nothing but a smile and a towel in the picture on the billboard in the field near the big old highway. Oh, yeah, we're back on y'all. And we live in a part of the country where you kind of need to have your wheels and you kind of need to be able to get out there in your favorite ride, whether it's a pick em up truck or your favorite automobile, and get going. And when you get going, you're going to see girls on billboards. You're going to see billboards aplenty. You're going to be able to cut on that radio and listen to programs like the Y'all Show, we hope. And maybe when you get to your destination, you'll be able to cut on the local news and you'll be able to see great programs mixed in with lots of commercials. And there is an extremely, extremely high chance when you cut on any of those options, whether it's a billboard or a radio station and or a television station, probably even in the newspaper, if those still exist in your community, 
there's a high, high chance you're going to have some trial lawyer reaching out to you, wanting you to know all about them. You know who I'm talking about. Every community, every state has them. They are easy to find. They usually have catchy commercials. They usually have goofy commercials in some cases. And they stand out. And they they literally get in your head. I don't understand it. And that's why today, after driving as much as I have the last week, and if you're a person like me on the highway a good bit, you probably have wondered, do those things really make a difference? Do they really help these trial lawyers? Because that's the bulk of who's out here advertising. Are they really that important to their success? There must be something to it. I've got an article here I'm going to read in the second portions of it. And it's a article from trial lawyers from the ATRA. American, what does that stand for? American Tort Reform Association. And according to an article from ATRA.org, get your checkbooks ready. Trial lawyers spent $1.4 billion on advertising in the past year. As trial lawyer groups flooded airways with more than 15 million local TV ads. That's just on TV, on, on, on the 15 million. But trial lawyers with over $1.4 billion spent in advertising. That's a lot, a lot of goofy commercials. According to the ATRA president, Tiger Joyce, love the name, Joyce says, these latest advertising numbers show that plaintiff's attorneys aren't slowing down in their relentless pursuit of their next payday. It is clear that trial lawyers continue to put profits ahead of vulnerable members of our society who are being misled by deceptive ads. Oh, so ATRA is against all these trial lawyers, it appears. So I must say that this is evidently this number, this this data is coming from a not-so-friendly organization to trial lawyers. But they also have a reason to inflate how much trial lawyers have spent on advertising. 1.4. Heck, a lot of you probably thought, well, heck, they're probably uh, spending more than that, maybe more like $3 billion a year is the expenditure on advertising from lawyers in markets all over the South. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring this topic up today is because we have certain trial lawyers that are out there a lot more than others. There are certain trial lawyers who are crossing state lines these days. I'm actually going to bring up a clip now of a Birmingham-based trial lawyer. And he is a guy who I've seen his billboards for years now going through Alabama. But I, I do believe that this man, Alexander Shannara, is making a push outside of Alabama. I know so because I think his ads are now being seen in Mississippi. I think I've seen them. I think I've seen them in Florida and Georgia, maybe in Tennessee. 
you just have to get clearance in each individual state, and you can practice in those areas is how it works. But Alexander Shinara is who I'm going to start off with telling you because I actually found him being interviewed by someone about his decision to spend so much money on advertising. Because if you, again, if you're an Alabamian, you know very well about this guy and his penchant for advertising. He's on stuff all the time. And so we thought it would be a helpful deal to come on here today and give you a little bit more about this Birmingham trial lawyer. Then I've got other ones who I'm going to bring up and tell you a little bit more data about their philosophy and their reasoning behind why they do so much advertising. It, It must pay off. It must be something worth their efforts because Look, a good trial lawyer, and we found if you watch the Murdoch case, he was a trial lawyer earlier this year. The way they make their money, I mean, sometimes they're making about 30% of the reward, I guess would be the term, for a case. If they can prove that they were wronged, and sometimes they have to split it with others, but it's pretty good dang money out there if you can uh, if you can pull it off. So I want to go in now. This guy again is Alexander Shinara, interviewed by a YouTube channel called What's Happening Birmingham. And he's being asked a question about his philosophy on advertising more. So let's go on and hear a few moments of this Alexander Shinara, Alabama-based trial lawyer, and his reasoning behind what he does in terms of advertising his trial lawyer practice. Let's just start off with, why did you choose a a career in law? You know, I always wanted to be a lawyer, and uh, my dad encouraged me to be a lawyer. But the thing that really got me is the law is in every single thing that you can see, touch, or feel. And that's what just really fascinated me. you got three types of law. you got God's law, man's law, and universal laws like gravity. All right, so when you first started your law firm, what was your goal you had in mind? You know, it was such a long time ago, but I just think I wanted to represent people and give them an opportunity against corporate America, against insurance companies to get what was fair to them and what they deserve rightfully if they were injured by no fault of their own. All right, so let's talk about... Yeah, like your marketing strategy where everybody knows you you're most famous for, specifically billboards and television advertising. What was your goal when you first started doing that? Well, doing it now? you know, Jarvis, when I first started, I didn't have any money. So I thought I would just, uh, I knew everybody. I was born in Birmingham. I was raised in Birmingham. I went to school, college, law school. But I quickly figured out, figured out that I didn't know as many people as I, I thought I did. So I first did like traditional like billboards, television, radio, but in the last 10 years or so, it's really been just a lot of digital advertising with the different social platforms. All right. One thing I've noticed, and I read an article about your last couple of years ago, um, you spoke about ping effect when it comes to billboards. Can you kind of tell us a little bit more about that? Well, you know, I studied the outdoor advertising space, and it was... There's, there's a factor called the ping effect. And what the ping effect is, is every time you pass a billboard or an outdoor advertising structure, it pings your brain. 
And if you pass it a hundred times, it's ping, ping, ping. And eventually, consciously or subconsciously, it'll attach itself to your mind. Okay. So it just helped our brand over the years. Okay. So what advice would you give the small business owners that's thinking about, you know, that's a little hesitant sometimes about spending those marketing dollars? I mean, you have to do something. I mean, I've always said that, first of all, you have to start with who you are. Because you yourself is a brand. So I'm a brand. You're a brand. Every single human is a brand. So start with yourself, like how you dress, how you speak, how you look. Everybody's watching. But then eventually, you would probably, at this time and age, from a cost standpoint, probably a little digital, a little social platform. And then you can kind of venture into the other areas. All right, that is attorney Alexander Shinara. His last name is spelled S U rather S H U N N A R A H. Slick guy, wouldn't you wouldn't you say after listening to that and certainly well versed on advertising and I love what he said. Advertising works. Advertising gets those pings as he was talking about. And he has tons of billboards in fact because of people like alexander shanara if you're looking to get billboards it's hard to get because he's got a monopoly in some cases and so the available billboards are taken up by people like shanara all the time and then because of his propensity to get these billboards the rate goes up and I'm sorry, I know you've got the digital billboards. I just don't think they're quite effective compared to the old-fashioned paper billboards. And that's what it looks like Shinara specializes in is the billboards that don't change, the ones that stay up. In fact, sometimes he's got them within a couple of hundred yards of each other. And you know, if you haven't seen an Alexander Shinara billboard, you've seen similar lawyers with billboards all over your area or wherever you travel. But he seems to know his stuff. But boy, I would love to be his billboard company rep and get the commission on all the billboards he's spending <laughs> across the southeast. <laughs> Pretty amazing stuff. Now, that's Alexander Shinara. The reason I'm bringing this subject up is it took me to get to the Alabama line in my traveling on the weekend to see his billboards because I was so captivated for a couple of states looking at the billboards of the Glenda Mitchell law firm. She is a North Georgia based lawyer and she represents the states of Georgia, South Carolina, and Alabama. Look out, Alexander. Glenda Mitchell is moving in on the heart of Dixie and Glenda Mitchell. I had seen her billboards for years in Georgia alone but now she's branched out to cover a couple of other states like South Carolina and Alabama. And just like the Dale Reeves song I played to start out the segment, man, the girl on the billboard, Glenda Mitchell, I think I'm in love. Yes, I do. Glenda, I love your billboard. I don't know anything about your legal practice. But she's a trial lawyer who grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, and ended up graduating from the John Marshall Law School in Atlanta. She is an Anderson University alumni there in the upstate of South Carolina. She's a personal injury lawyer and has her Glenda Mitchell Law Firm that's got a bunch of attorneys working for her now. And she works out of the Cartersville, Georgia office. 
But she's got billboards all over the Carolina, over South Carolina, all over Georgia, and now Alabama. Glenda Mitchell. Her website, glendamitchelllawfirm.com. Glenda, if you're listening, if you're not available in terms of a courtship, maybe you'll be available in terms of advertising here on the Y'all Show and on our great station. Okay? Check us out. Mail at y'all.com, Glenda. Glenda Mitchell Law Firm. So she's dominating the advertising scene in a couple of southern states alongside Alexander Shannara. Let me tell you about another lawyer that you might be familiar with. As this guy is giving her a run for the money in a couple of these same southern states, the George Sink Law Firm. He has billboards everywhere in a couple of states. He advertises nonstop. He's all over local TV. All he's all. I saw him on a big, gigantic city bus in Charleston over the weekend. And here is a guy who served two tours of duty in Vietnam, retired as a Marine Corps captain, and then went to Emory Law School in Atlanta and went back to Charleston starting his law firm. And you can't escape the George Sink Law Firm if you're in South Carolina, Georgia, and maybe a few other places. Sinklaw.com is his website. And his claim to fame, in addition to his goofy commercials sometime that he's got on there, is the telephone number to call. For example, if you're in the Midlands of South Carolina, you can call the George Sink Law Firm at 803-ALL-9s. That's 803-999-9999. And you hear that commercial run about 5,000 times a day and see it on billboards. It gets a little a little old after a while from the George Sink Law Firm. That's why I wish I saw more Glenda Mitchell commercials on TV. Okay. Enough with that. Let's talk about a guy who really has had goofy commercials for most of his career, and that is Nahon Severovich and Trotz's Corey B. Trotz. He is a Chattanooga native that would go on to get his law degree at the University of Memphis's Cecil C. Humphreys School of Law. Essentially, he set up practice in West Tennessee, and if you ever are in Tennessee, North Mississippi, and other locations of the Mid-South, you're going to see Corey B. Trotz and Nahon Severovich and Trotz commercials. He used to be on his own. Then he teamed up with uh, Mr. Nahon and Mr. Severovich starting NST. And I even know their little jingle. NST is the way to go. Call something, 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 something. Uh, 866-724-0998. I can't even get through this without keeping a straight face. But Corey B. Trotz is the... Mid-South area lawyer who has been practicing a long time in the Memphis area, and he has his law firm that has commercials and billboards and locations all over the Mid-South. He's admitted in Tennessee and Arkansas, I guess. Maybe in Mississippi you can't hire his services. But uh, Corey B. Trotz, considered one of the top 50 super lawyers in Memphis at one time and also in the state of Tennessee, and is considered one of the super lawyers' personal injury for several years, Corey B. Trotz, nstlaw.com is his website if you're needing a good trial lawyer in the state of Tennessee or Arkansas. And I bet you he's got people in his office that will take care of you in Mississippi. Also, if you're in Texas, the Ramey Law Firm has ads all over the place. They're the DallasPersonalInjuryLawyers.com is their website. Check them out. 
And also, I wanted to give this segment proper credit. The king of personal trial injury lawyers with billboards and presence all over the southeast, it's John Morgan of Morgan & Morgan, We the People. Did you realize that attorney John Morgan is actually a native of Lexington, Kentucky? He's 67 years old. He would go on to graduate from the University of Florida with an undergrad and a law degree. And he's been a personal injury lawyer located in the state of Florida since 1984. Morgan and Morgan, for the people. I think that's their nickname. I should know it after seeing 5,000 of the commercials a day. But, yeah, his son's now involved. You've seen the commercials. And he has quite a presence all over many southern states and has branched out into politics. He's been a big Democratic booster in years past. I've seen him at the White House Correspondents' Dinner when Obama was in office up there, hanging out in years past. But it's the Morgan & Morgan Personal Injury Law Firm, headquartered in Orlando. They have 108 offices now across 50 states. I'd say the boy's doing pretty good, coming right out of Lexington, Kentucky. (laughs) John Morgan and Morgan and Morgan. For the people. And he is the king, in my opinion, the king of guys that started this whole, let's advertise every chance we get. Let's get out here, get in your face. Let's make a lot of money. I'm trying to see if I can't come up with a estimated net worth of John Morgan. Because he is the big daddy, the big one. In my opinion, in terms of lawyers, Let's see. I know that that he's also a real estate investor, and his estimate. Okay, here we go. According to the source for this kind of stuff, <clears throat> Wikipedia, John Morgan's estimated net worth ranges from five hundred million to seven hundred and thirty million dollars. I really thought it would be higher than that. This guy, you'd think, would be a multi-billionaire. John Morgan, Morgan and Morgan, for the people. And that, my friends, is my effort to tell you all about trial lawyers and their billions of dollars spent to get you, to get the clicks, to get your attention to where you need them when you get in a fender bender, when you want them to come represent you and sue somebody for a lot of money because of their continuous advertising presence, you're going to think of them first and they're going to take you on a ride and they're going to get you lots of money. That's what a lot of these commercials have. They have the, I guess the testimonials from people and they come, George Sink, I got in a wreck and George Sink got me $200,000. I saw one of those ads this weekend. I think even Morgan and Morgan has testimonials where people say, You know, I didn't have any money, but in comes Morgan and Morgan, and all my problems went away. I don't know if they tell you how much money the attorneys get from these settlements, but uh, gosh, maybe I'm just in the wrong business because I'm on on the radio. I'm on podcasting. You can 
You can see and hear me, and I'm thankful for that. But you know what? If I had a lot of money and I was willing to spend it on advertising, well, you could be seeing and hearing me that way too. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, I should have thought about that. You know, and for all of you who want to be seen and heard, well, there's always an opportunity. You don't have to get in line and try to get on your local radio station or TV station. You, you could just simply be a rich person that buys your way on the media. And, uh, man, I'm jealous because I'd like to have about $800 million in my account right now like my fellow John does. That would be Mr. John Morgan of Morgan and Morgan. All right, hope you all enjoyed that again. Pay attention when you're out on the highways, not just to the road, but if you have a chance, just glance over, glance over, and maybe even glance over at Glenda. Glenda, my new billboard love interest, Glenda Mitchell of the Glenda Mitchell Law Firm with her big advertising presence all over a couple of our southern states. Now, we'll have to go to break as I'm lying here with Glenda on my mind. Okay, enough of that. She's going to sue me, and I don't blame her. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to wrap up this Monday edition. This is what happens when I'm away for a few days looking at billboards and doing crazy, goofy things. We're going to wrap up this show. I've got some big news. Speaking of celebs, this guy didn't buy his way on anything. He's worked his tail off. And he's a good southern boy straight out of South Haven, Mississippi. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about how conservative talk show host and author Todd Starnes will be on with us on our Tuesday Y'all Show. And we can't wait to tell you about that. Plus, Jerry Short. The Takapolo Storyteller, also on our Tuesday show. And I'll give you an idea of who all else will be showing up here on the Y'all Show going forward the rest of the week. All that as we close out this Monday, y'all. So stay tuned. I'm going to start talking about it, Janie Fricky. We're back here wrapping up this Y'all Show for the Monday to give you an idea of what is ahead on Y'all going forward for the rest of this week. Join us on Tuesday as we'll have a very special guest, Todd Starnes. He's a conservative talk show host with more than 140 radio stations carrying the Todd Starnes show each day. And Todd's going to come on and talk about his biscuit book and his forthcoming political book. And we'll talk about his rise from Memphis area kid to a memphis area radio station owner todd starnes on our tuesday y'all show we also have the taco polo storyteller jerry short stopping by 
our Tuesday Y'all program. On Wednesday, we'll have all of the great information to pass along, including food talk, and we'll also give you our Southern Business Spotlight on the Wednesday Y'all Show. On the Thursday Y'all Show, it's all about country music news with our Nashville Music Line report. And we'll also fill you in on some great festivals going on across Dixie this weekend. That's all coming up here on the Y'all Show going forward. The rest of the week, it's going to be awesome. We don't want you to miss out on the fun. Thank you for putting up with me being away for a few days. We will be back here on Tuesday. Have a great rest of your Monday. I'm John Rawl signing off from the show all about the South here. The Y'all Show. The Y'all Show.